Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 979 and welcome to 2019 did you make a lot of resolutions that you're already going to break uh my resolution is uh no more dumb voices i already broke it damn it fail um you can send any events that you have to or things that you just want to promote that you made to events at id10t.com like Brendan, who said, I have a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition community in the Puget Sound area of Washington State. We have three events a month and are currently about 200 members. We get together for socials, one-shots, help people connect, and we just launched our own podcast. I've been a fan of uh, the show for years, and encouraging uh, your fans to go out and make something was a big part of our inspiration to make something for others out of the things we love. Good job. So if you're in our area, please consider joining our Facebook group and coming out to events or looking up our podcast, Sound Gaming. Oh, that is nice. Ah. Because he's in Puget Sound and he's gaming. I'm not even being sarcastic, Brendan. You rolled a natural 20 on that one, my friend. Uh, Thor writes, I would love it if you could let everyone know about my partner's amazing books and artwork. Her name is Birgitta Sif, and she makes picture books with a message. Her debut book is called Oliver, and it's won many awards because of the subtle message that it's okay to be different. I thought this book is so relevant to anyone that ever feels different or left out. I've often felt that way, and I can imagine a lot of your listeners have had the same feelings. I believe this book will help anyone that has had these feelings, kids, teenagers, and adults. Her most recent book just came out in November, and it's called The Tall Man and the Small Mouse, a beautiful story she illustrated about working together. You can find all all her books on Amazon by searching Birgitta Sif, and her name is spelled B-I-R-G-I-T-T-A and S-I-F. Uh, all right. Again, events at ID10T.com. If you've got some stuff and business you want me to uh, want me to, to mention. But the business of the day is Mr. Ron Funches, who is uh, one of my favorite comedians and just one of the best people. And Ron... Ron is someone I've known for a very long time. I think Ron might have been in the very first when we did that uh, when we did that uh, stand-up cluster, the very first stand-up cluster. I think Ron was in that. When was that? 2011 or something? Um, but uh, I adore him, and you know, we we end up kind of dovetailing into a lot of at midnight talk on this episode because uh, you know Ron was 
kind of the king of At Midnight. But I realized after the podcast, like, I don't know if Ron and I ever sat down and had this in-depth of a conversation before. And I'm ashamed of myself and sorry that we hadn't because he's so insightful and so inspiringly and sincerely positive. Honestly, he has a new podcast that you should listen to. Uh, It's called Getting Better. And he's really exploring a lot of the ideas about, like, how to get better, how to improve, how to be more comfortable with yourself. And uh, I'm just so excited for him, and I'm so proud of all the cool things that he's doing. Um, First and foremost, you should absolutely watch his comedy special, Giggle Fit. It is airing on Comedy Central Friday, January 4th at 11 p.m., and uh, and go to his tour page on ronfunches.com and definitely see him live if you get the opportunity. But I support all things Ron Funches. He is hilarious and kind. And I guarantee that by the end of this episode, your day will have been made at least a little bit better, if not infinitely more. Um, thanks to the ID10T episode number 979 with Mr. Ronald Funches. Who is the owner of all the points? Initiating ID10T protocol. Talking about, are you talking about Mario Maker? Uh, Smash Brothers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you and I are friends on uh, Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I see you sometimes late at night playing Smash Brothers. I've been playing Diablo 3. Yeah, you, I mean, it seemed like you were playing Zelda forever. I played Zelda probably, it was somewhere between two and 300 hours. Yeah. And I didn't even play the DLC, because mm. I just, at a certain point, I just felt like, all right, I don't know if I could. Do you ever have that experience where you play a game so much and then it more comes out and you just feel like, I don't know if I can yeah. go through. And it, I loved it. It was one of my favorite games yeah, ever. I wish I had made that decision with Spider-Man because <laughs> I played the DLC and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I've had, I've had enough. Turns out I'm full. <laughs> I'm just waiting. There's, you know, I finally have, uh, I love the Switch so much, but there's still so many games that I just wish... And I know we'll never probably port over to that, mm. but uh, I wish they would make Bioshock on mm. Switch so I could take it around with me. Everywhere. That would be great. I think that it seems possible. It seems. I mean, it's not. Well, they just did. The, they just did the reissues. Like they just did a remastered version of Bioshock, mm-hmm. and I'll play it on Xbox. That's fine. But uh, you know, the portability is really hard to beat. Oh, especially you travel so much. Yes, you know? it's one of my best things about have. I, I thought they were. You know, you see a commercial and you're like. Okay, sure, this is the best case scenario. And then I bought my Switch and I was like, I am that commercial. <laughs> I am taking it everywhere. I'm popping it. As soon as I get home, I pop it on the TV. It's like, it's a great machine. It's basically the platform that I think people wanted from the time there were home video games. Like, oh, I wish I could take, you know. Yeah. Uh, especially when they, when game systems branched off to mobile and, 
And we're like, oh, but this has a limited version of what you can yeah. play on the console. That's a limited version of what you can play in, in the, the arcade. arcade yeah. And now everything's just everything. And uh, so it's a it's a good time. It's a good it's a, it's a good time for our kind. Who, yeah. who like, <laughs> <laughs> who like the video. A rare, a rare good time. <laughs> let's enjoy let's en- let's enjoy this time before our kind dismantles and. Uh, uh, it gets too cool. I mean, Ninja's already on on. Um... Late on late night shows and doing stuff like that. Yep. How are you, by the way? Thank you for asking. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I miss your face. I miss your giggle. I, I miss. I know. I was just thinking. I was like, oh, I haven't seen you in a long time. It's good to see you. Nice first to see of you all. too. Uh, I'm doing very well. Good. I am very busy. I'm getting a surgery tomorrow to um, clean up some skin and stuff from the weight loss. Because as I've been saying, I'm like, I'm very healthy, but underneath my shirt, I'm like a lava lamp. <laughs> 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 just lean one way or another, things move. And um, so I'm getting a surgery tomorrow, which I was a little bit apprehensive about. And, and part of me felt kind of down about where I was like, oh, man, you you know, you let yourself get so heavy at some point that now you, you can't fix some of these things just by working out. You have to go get a surgery to do it. And But then I was like, you know, it's an accomplishment, things I'm doing. And now I'm like, I just want... To lay down and rest. So <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're going to get that because of the holidays. But it's a good, you know, like you, you know, uh, and again, I always, you know, when people talk about their weight, I say like whatever weight you are, that isn't what defines you. It's like what choices are you making and if you're, are you making healthy choices and are you comfortable with yourself mm-hmm. and that's the important thing and, and if you're making healthier choices – Yes, the surgery is probably a huge pain and it, you know, probably triggers some stuff for you, but just know that it's the result of this accomplishment of you making healthier choices and living a a better life cuz the world needs Ron Funches on it as long as possible. <laughs> if you if you could just if you could somehow be a Futurama head in the jar a thousand years from now, that is <laughs> That's necessary, I think. The world needs you, Ron Funches. Why? Because you're because you're a hilarious and b you just make people happy. Like people Aww. love people. You, you were the first contestant on At Midnight that when right after the show kind of popped, when I would go tour and I would ask people like who do they love on the show, you were the sort of runaway fan favorite on on the show because you just like the second you come on screen, you just make people happy. Aww. You smile and you're fucking funny on top of that. So it's not just you're not just charming. There's like the charming is wrapped in a layer of like legitimate comedy. So people people really enjoy you. My mom said that, but I thought she just had to. <laughs> she mom, did, but it also happens to be true. Yeah, she was like, you just come on the screen and you pop. But I'm like, yeah, you're going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was not performing for a lot of your mom in the audience. These, were, these, were un- these people actually paid to express their opinion by being at the show. So just so you know. No, I take it and I appreciate it. I, I I feel very happy about that. I think it's a thing that kind of comes up and also in my relationships where women have told me, like, if you if I didn't look you in the eyes and know you were genuine, you would be the most schmarmy, like, <laughs> dude in the world. Like, I, there's no way I would believe you because you're, like, you, cause I'm very romantic. I like, you know, like, leaving notes. I like to think. And they're just, like, 
the only way this works is because I can look you in the eyes and you're genuine. I right. think that's what people like on my comedy. And sometimes um, when people who don't like my comedy who don't know me, they they there is because they think it's an act. You right. Know? They think I'm putting on airs or trying to to put on a character and i'm just like no this is this is me i'm turned up but this is me it's the purest if 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 someone if science could uh distill your essence down into a liquid that would basically be your onstage persona like the most concentrated funches yeah i mean (laughs) you can get on the street caring about what people think or or and just flying i guess yeah yeah what and you started in chicago chicago and so what what was the path to you getting so comfortable? Because I love – one of my favorite things about watching comics is watching them just be so comfortable on stage and mm-hmm. so authentic on stage. Even if they're – even if they're even if they're, even if they're kind of doing a heightened version or a, or a little bit of a character. Mm-hmm. But just that, um, that level of uh, I can do and say anything on stage – and it's going to work because I'm I'm comfortable with who I am and my relationship to the audience. Was it? Did you always feel that, or would, would did you have to hone that over? I mean, of course not. That would be crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really bombing out there. But <laughs> I mean, was there was there a bomb period for? Oh, for sure. I mean, sometimes there still is. Is about people getting to know me, and, and I myself, I know about myself. It takes me a while to get comfortable. Uh, and and sometimes I I need to like quicken it up where I and I've been learning to do that and just tell myself to get comfortable now because people would like shows I'd work on things like that and, and people would be like oh I would be so shy and just I'll be on time I don't want anyone to be thinking that I'm holding up the works or doing anything and I would not be myself and then eventually I like when I relax and I'm talking shit all the time and I'm just having fun they're like oh you're hilarious <laughs> like, right you know and um, it took um, I'm it's a common misconception I started in Chicago I, I started comedy in Portland Oregon I was raised in Chicago but that is kind of where it comes from is that I moving from Chicago to Oregon and um, as a teenager and, and moving from predominantly black area to a very predominantly white area and and just seeing that things that were cool in, in Chicago weren't cool in Oregon and, and things that are cool in Oregon will get me beat up in Chicago and <laughs> and just it really honed, and also, um, my mom was in like a, a bad relationship, and I was moving in with my dad, and a lot of times of just being like, oh, I just have to really be happy with me and who I am because I'm kind of all I got, you know, like, so I have to really enjoy what I enjoy, and just if so, I'd never been the person who's like, oh, I love wrestling, oh, oh you don't like, oh, I don't like it, you know, you know, I'm yeah. always like, if you don't, oh, fine, I don't care what you like. I care about what I like, you know, and that's what I molded my comedy around was just talking about what I like and talking about what interests me. And it takes sometimes I, I had a time period where I would know I would go and do these sets and I could feel the audience reaction. And it would be like the first minute they would hear me and hear my voice. And especially when I was larger, uh, they just go, oh. And either two minutes in, they'd go, okay. Or they'd go, mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Hey, no. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I often think, and obviously there, there's a lot more nuance than this, and there are a lot more subsets than this, but I think comedians, I think, can kind of be divided into 
two types, and there is some crossover, but it's there are comics who relate to the audience, and then there are comics that are so much themselves or a character that they are able to get the audience to relate to them. Mm. And that's a whole different magic trick. And they're both – I'm not saying one's better than the other, but they're just different. Uh, I, I do think – I do think it's harder to get the audience to relate to you because respectfully people are selfish and they don't want to have to go out. They don't want to have to think outside their own. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have to think outside the bun. (laughs) (laughs) And so getting an audience like it's easy to get to easier to get to an audience by saying like, here's a bunch of things you already know and like and I'm going to fuck around in that world versus, you know. Having to set up your character and who you are and get the audience to not only accept and like that but then to come along and then laugh at things that don't necessarily involve them directly. Mm -hmm. So that's a real feat. I mean was that ever a conscious decision on your part or was it just naturally how you evolved? It it was more naturally and then when I became aware of how it um, separated me and – when I would do sets and I, you know, cause you, you all the time, I think, um, Eliza Schlesinger said this and everybody got really mad <laughs> when she said like 80% of female comedians talk about the same thing. And I understood why people got mad. It's cause she put in the word female. Like if you said 80% of comedians say the same thing, I would have been like, I totally heartily agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you go out there and you, if you just want to, it's like, it's going to an open mic or going to like a, um, showcase sometimes can be similar to just being on twitter you're like you can go in and you can see what everybody's been thinking about and talking about and you see the um the type of uh patterns that build up and i was very much in that was the comedians i liked were more insular and were more about inviting you into their world and 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 they didn't necessarily care about the worlds going on around them and not only that, it's just that's just me as a person. I don't watch the news. I right. don't. I don't know what's going on, so I can't tell you what's going on. That's probably why you seem happy all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ignorance is bliss. Well, I mean, you're not. You're not basically poisoning yourself with the toxic news cycle that's depressing to look at every day. Yeah, it's a big thing. I often think about. Um, I just wish more people would admit that they get off on it. Yeah, that that's what their addiction is because they want to be mad. They want to start their day off going, "Oh, what the fuck did he do today?" Right, you know. And I'm giving someone else power over me by me going like, "The world sucks right now." Like I don't have control of my personal life and how I, um, how I can be a positive influence to those around me. Yeah, and I also think that uh, a comedy, like comedy, is so necessary right now for people escapism and you know and i haven't seen your special yet but i'm because it doesn't come out till january oh, yeah you could i mean mostly everyone has can you can you, will you send it to me it to you, i would love to see it please i would really love to see it because sure. uh i don't know i miss i mean i don't miss the schedule of at midnight but i miss the i miss everything else about it mm-hmm. and uh but that 11 the election night special we did with you and um pft and, yeah with paul tompkins and, and uh, kirkman right? and i think it was kirkman yeah um where we were live live um that was really fun yeah because uh, it it just felt it had an energy 
that sort of felt like we were performing rather than shooting a television show because mm-hmm. there was like we don't know what's happening. Live, live, live or die. Sketches like, are changing. Yeah. I remember you guys had your like your your Trump concession sketch, and then, <laughs> and then they were like, "We're cutting it." <laughs> Yeah, it turns out uh, it's uh, not gonna. It's going the other way. Oh, we didn't make one for that. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta cobble this together real fast. But uh, I don't know. So, so that's that's really one of the things that I miss because I love the thing that I love about comedy is really the kind of community of it and the camaraderie of it, and you know, watching everyone develop their superpowers mm-hmm. and like get to the next level and the next level and the next level, and then watching the world discover. What you already knew, which is these people are really funny, and mm-hmm. now the world knows it, and that's really that was always really fun to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, I love. I try not to ever feel like a sense of loss or or feel like oh, I wish I could go back to those times. I'm, I try to be grateful in that moment, and especially when when I'm aware it's a special thing, and and I became aware pretty quickly when yeah because it it was filling up my club rooms and Mm -hmm. things like that and i'm just like wow this is a big deal and it was just really fun and i was good at it so it was made me really happy and it still has like the best television moment that i've been a part of was the fact that i got to be on tv with my mom and my mom was funny yeah you know and that made me so happy and there's nothing there's nothing me that can beat that oh that's really sweet to hear because you know, I fo- of course I follow you on Instagram, so I see. Did you just was Steve Austin just on your Instagram feed? Yeah. So you're meeting a lot of your heroes, and so it's really sweet to hear you say like your favorite TV moment was with your mom on that Mother's Day show that we did. Yeah, it means a lot to me because my mom is who I get a lot of my humor from, and and to see her go out there and um, not only be funny, but also she got to watch the work that goes into it. You know? Yeah. And so she saw that. It's like, oh, it's not just him coming up with it on the fly. He's in the room. He's going over this and that, changing this. Yeah. And then when we had to shoot this, the For the Wind sketch, um, my mom was, I, I would give her ideas and she would just go, well, you know what you're doing, so I will do whatever you ask me to do. Yeah. And, and to have her give me that type of respect and be like, this is... This is your domain, and I'm happy to do whatever you tell me in your domain. It meant a lot to me. Like I said, time I'm like this makes me very happy now. And then years from now, I'll watch it again and be very sad. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to focus on that. No. That's for another time. Yeah, I mean, it's you know the show. I even though because uh, people would say like, well, do people prepare stuff? And I on on at midnight, and I'd say, yeah, they prepare a little bit, but you guys weren't given that much time. Yeah, to, it was like you know because we were coming up with stuff in the morning, and then you guys were getting there an hour, hour and a half before the show, and then working on stuff. Then it's like, yeah, because you know they're performers, and we want the funniest, best show. But to me, the the thing that really worked for the show is that people would sort of come on. There were a handful of things that people could come in and kind of prepare for. But when the show worked in its perfect form, everyone felt comfortable because they knew they had stuff if they needed it. Yeah, And And there was an incredible amount of riffing on the show that – and, and that to me was where it worked the best, where it's like the, the, the stuff that was prepared an hour before and the riffs were like – toe to toe and everyone was really working in concert the show really worked the best when everyone knew each other and the longer we did the show the more comedians got to know each other on the show and the only time it didn't really work was when the three comedians didn't really know each other and they all played it 
like it was a real game show and they were all in their own lane and there wasn't camaraderie. But yeah. at midnight really was a team sport to, in, my, in my mind. Yeah, to me, um, I love the competition of it and that was fun and sometimes I get very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... The, especially when I was winning a bunch, it became a point where I'm like, I started looking at it more like wrestling, where I was like, oh, it's a, it's better if Marcella beats me. I'm not going <laughs> to let her beat me, but if she beats me, that's actually better for me. What a great story, you know? Yeah, and and the more I looked at it like that, and it, it was really fun. And like you said, I never had more fun than when it was like you know someone like me and Paul or Delia, where I knew them and I could mess with them and play with them and just joke off of their joke. And if like you said, if I needed to go to my prepared, I could. But nothing more fun than coming off something off the cuff and then it killing. Yeah, you know? and 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 uh, you know. Sometimes, you know, there were people who needed to do a show to kind of get the vibe of it, and then they'd come back and kill. But then there were other people like you, or like Marcella Arguello was another person who, like, right off the bat, was like the first time she ever opened her mouth on the show, she was killing. Yeah. And she crushed every time she well, was on. Well, that's not necessarily true for me, because I did the, um, I did the test show. And I didn't know what it was. Well, I didn't that wasn't know your, I did. the test show wasn't your fault. But I lost to Bronger, and I was like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> I get this now. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I found that when if, if the show didn't work for a particular comedian, it's, you had to be willing to play the game. And if someone came in and they were above the game mm-hmm. or trying to – comment on that it was dumb in some way or be or like be outside of it then it never worked so some of the counterculture comedians had a tough time or, or you know a success if, if they wanted to be counter then it, then they were very successful in that way but i really feel like you had to really be open to to playing it and if you could then it was going to be great because there were there was so much there was so much protection on the show it's like if you know for a show to not to for for a show to bomb as a whole, it's sort of like a plane going down. Like seven things would have to go wrong. It's like <laughs> the questions were had to be not funny, the clips had to be not funny, everyone had to be not on their game and not working together. The so audience is tired. The audience, yeah, was a, yeah. The audience was tired or didn't know what they were there to see, and so, and I felt like that was rare. It was a fun show to be a part of and watch live. Which is not common for television, no. where things usually have to get chopped together. But if you if someone saw a live episode of At Midnight, usually it was fucking really fun, and we just kind of cut it. We just kept the best twenty one minutes. Yeah, and dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was always my fault. I always dragged it into the mud. I love it. It was the best. I just always knew that. Like, oh, if I can end it by saying dick or something, <laughs> I'm a win. And it's gonna be, yeah, there was well. I realized, like, in the first, I don't know, in the first handful of shows we started doing, we didn't have audience warm-up, and I realized that was not, I realized that was a problem because we were all kind of wondering why everyone, including me in the beginning, was going super dirty, super fast, like super quick dick jokes, and then I realized, oh, it's because the audience isn't warmed up when we're starting the show and so we as survival mechanisms were going blue really fast just to try to get the audience's attention classic road trick and so let's 
having a, let's have someone come in and do warm up, you know. So Brody Stevens did warm up for the for the beginning chunk, and he did such an amazing job. And then of course, you know, we had so many other great comedians come through and do warm up, so that the audience was warmed up and comfortable, so that the comedians didn't feel like we got to punch yeah. hard right out of the gate. Going out cold. Yeah, we got. We don't have to go out cold. Um. So what? What have you been doing? What have you been doing since? At midnight. And <laughs> well, the day in. <laughs> Let's go every day. Well, because we have a podcast now, I Getting Better. Yeah, it's called Getting Better. It's just about getting better at life and and whatever my guest is good at. So sometimes it's comedy, sometimes it's acting, sometimes it's professional wrestling, um, whatever. We talk about their journey and how they got to where they are. And it's mostly like a funny self-help thing, but it's not preachy or anything. It's just... For me, it's a lot of way for me to get to talk to a lot of people I look up to and admire and ask them the questions I just want to ask them because I, I feel that um, being mentored and, and, and looking at the people who came before you or just even people who are younger than me who just have really, really good skill sets, I like to learn from them. I like to pick up things from them. And, and the one thing I'm finding in, is that a lot of people have in common is that they like they set goals they they write things down they do these things and i want to um give that out to people so like when i was starting out comedy i, w- I would have loved to have heard these things so i think sometimes as a culture we we um we separate we think talent is a thing that is given like as if someone not cultivated exactly as if someone is just born talented and they're chosen and that's that's something i learned is the farthest from the truth it's it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of um i think talent more as like a a source like a a river or a body of water that you have to work to get closer to Mm -hmm. and the more you do that and that that can be by doing more sets or it can be in your personal life and, and 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 getting your shit together or stopping drinking or things like that or you hey. <laughs> hey, now you're in my yard yeah just the the growth that it comes and i know just from um my whole life from being you know being we're just stoner man child to being a single dad who has raised a kid with autism uh, by myself and all these things where it's like they help push me and guide me to a person where i'm at where i'm at and i just don't like it when people think like, oh, I could never get there. And it's just like, oh, if if I could get here, anyone can. Because there's no reason for me to be there. I'm a community college dropout, you know. I uh, had a kid when I was 20 and it was obese. And there's there's no reason that if I can do it that... And I don't mean like everyone can be a great comedian, but like whatever your natural talents are, if you work towards those, you you usually are rewarded. Yeah. I mean, you get good at whatever you focus on and that's positive or negative. And if you if you focus on negative all the time, you get really good at that mm-hmm. and that becomes your world and that begins to manifest. And obviously there are things that happen that people can't control. So I'm not saying it's easy for everyone to do and they, you know, but um, but you know if you watch i think the 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 best illustration of what you're talking about is i love to i don't know why but i have a thing about watching videos where people learn to play piano over the course of a year because a year goes like that mm-hmm. uh and you watch like some guy or lady who's never played the piano before and they go i'm just going to start playing every day for a year and see what happens and you see them go from blah 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 to playing fucking concertos after a year and you go that's just 
you know, a little bit of time and focus, a little bit of, of effort each day compounds like interest. Mm-hmm. And after a year, they're exponentially better at something and they have, they have cultivated this skill that they didn't have before. And think about what you could do in your life if you just applied that little bit every day toward something and not, you know, a little bit every day of telling yourself that you're a piece of shit or you're dumb or this is why bad things happen to you or, of course, this ha- – you know, it's like all that stuff, whatever you focus on is what you get good at. So why not – try to take back a little bit of control and making those constructive things. I, I completely agree with you. One of the, uh, the things that I often think about is um, control, personal control and believing that you are in charge of yourself. And, and sure, like you said, things will happen outside of your control. But you are in you are in charge of how you react to things and what you do every day and what you put forth every day. And I had I came from a bad mindset and thinking that I would never do anything and it took me having my son and my son being diagnosed and me being like I have to I I have to do something. I have to find a career. I have to be able to um uh help him financially maybe for the rest of his life. I don't know. So I had to really change my mindset and stop being about woe is me and why why aren't things being handed to me and just be like I have to go get it. Right. And and like you said as you talk about the piano thing and people it's easier when you're watching the video because you're seeing that year go by in a few minutes. The hardest thing I think is for people to start because you're bad when you start. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it sucks to feel bad and it sucks to not be good at something. But, you know, especially for anyone who has ever played a video game, you know, you know, unless you're like a world class gamer, whenever you start something, you got to learn which buttons do what. You got to learn combo moves. You got to learn what the quests are. You got to, but quickly over time and because it's fun. We don't even think about that process. Yeah. We just do it. And we're like, oh, I'll just figure it out. So why couldn't, why not, why don't we not do that with life? Yeah, when in video games, that's part of the thrill of it. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to be like. I don't know how to control this. So that's fun. So it should be the same in life, you know? And But oftentimes we get um, embarrassed. Well, there's no stakes in the video game, for, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in life, there's, you know... Our emotions are at stake, our, you know, our social standing. But that's all invented in our head, exactly. I think. It's not – those aren't – I think we impose a lot of limits on ourselves as protection, you know, because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. But you have to feel uncomfortable to get better at something. Yeah, gr- growth is uncomfortable. That's why, that's why they call growing pains. Growing pains. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. You you're not like, oh, that was – that was delightful. <laughs> How is your son? How's he doing? He's doing amazing. He He's is 15 now. He is 15. Shit. I have one more year to figure out how to buy his Ashton Martin that I promised him <laughs> when he was eight. Um, <laughs> I think it's not out of the question, actually. It's not out of the question, but it's not currently feasible. <laughs> we got to see how these months go. And, um, but. I mean, he's the thing I'm most proud about and most happy about. And I uh, bought my house last year, which was a big, big goal of mine. And, and for him, I remember we moved in and he just walked in. I thought he'd be like, oh, surprise. But he walked in, his chest puffed up. And he walked around there like, yeah, this is fucking mine. <laughs> <laughs> and it made so if you me, die, I get this, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it made and it just made me feel really good that he felt 
comfortable and he felt like this is his and he walked around this pool and he was just like yeah and then um we still hadn't moved all the way in yet so i was still moving stuff from my apartment and i tried to get him to come move stuff with me and he was just go no i don't want to go back and i was just like i go would you rather live in this i go and then i just started messing with him and i was like well i feel like this is too much house for me i, I want to go live in the apartment goes, do you want to live in the house by yourself or do you want to come live with by myself <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this, and again, you know, and and I and I hope this uh, I hope this doesn't come off weird to ask you this, but do you do you find that learning to communicate with your son who has autism has made you a better person for the world because it's forced you to slow down and be patient and listen and learn how to communicate and learn how to communicate well? Uh, has have have you has that helped your uh, other skills the rest of your life? Yeah, that's not a. I mean, that's a great question. It's not a bad question at all. A wonderful question. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, nobody ever asked me that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's formed my life in, in so many ways, comedically, definitely. Um, one of the earliest things my son taught me, and I think you can see it in my comedy, is like I, I, you know, I tend to ramble on podcasts and stuff and that. But my comedy, I, I try to choose my words very carefully, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't try to waste words. I try to use as few words as possible, and that's the thing that my my son taught me very early. Is because a I couldn't come at him and be like, "Well, what do you want to do this afternoon? Shall we go do this or shall we go do that?" Mm-hmm. So it was like, "You want to go to um, park today?" You know, things like that I'd have to say to him. And then so he really taught me a lot about words being overrated. And <laughs> <laughs> say what you mean, get to the point. Yeah, say what you mean, get to the point. And, and there had been some times with me and my son when he was younger where we, we could go the whole day. I could make him dinner. I could communicate with him, hand him things, do things. We could go the whole day and never talk once. And, and, and that was really fun for me and taught me a lot. And, and overall, it has taught me to be kinder and be, be more um, mindful and I think when I was younger, and I think just think as a teen or whatever, I was, you know, I would have been quick to like toss around the R word or, or, or I don't know necessarily quick, but I wouldn't have it wouldn't have offended me, right, to hear it. And now, now it does. And I, but also I don't let that. Um, I understand that my path is different, mm-hmm. and that if they had someone who had a disability in their family, they wouldn't talk like that, right. And so, is my goal then? Part of my goal is to then represent that type of stuff. So a lot of times if I'm in a club and and people have moved on from saying the R word and more just trying to throw around autistic as as a replacement. And so a lot of times I'll, if I'm on after someone who does that, I'll, just, I'll start off and just do my jokes about my son. Oh, and, wow. And I'm like, oh, my son has autism. No, no, that's a real person. Let me tell you about him. And, you know, and I try and sometimes people afterwards, they I can tell that it makes them think about it. Right. I've never I never go like fuck you. You go. I just go. Oh, you know that thing you're abstractly talking about because you have no frame of reference and no clue about it, and you're just throwing around a world because you've seen the same to use, safe to use, and that no one's going to challenge you on it. Guess what? Those are real people, <laughs> and I'm going to challenge you on it. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we can still go get uh, something to drink or eat, and I'll be friends with you. But I hope you think about it. It does. Um, I can't say that I don't judge people. I certainly do. If I meet you in the first few minutes you're just throwing around our words or saying stuff like that i just go oh okay you're not you're not for me right you know and and um i just think yeah made me kinder made me um 
thought more thoughtful and I think that's fun in my comedy and I like to use it in my comedy and, and I think that in a world where usually we kind of go for the opposite of that of being more callous nothing can hurt me mm-hmm. thing like that I think that helps separate me which is funny because the truth of the matter is I think for most comedians everything can hurt you mm-hmm. and that's why we have this defense mechanism mm-hmm. because we're trying to not because we're sensitive sensitive af yeah and uh and so we're trying to seem so bulletproof on stage because we're terrified inside or feel yeah. terrible about it you well know, that like- seems to have been a, a male a male thing overall lately because it's on twitter i'll get into some battles or stuff and then i can tell i like you know, because I'm good at talking shit. So like, oh, I hurt your feelings. I knew I just hurt your feelings <laughs> from the way you responded. And then, and then, all right, I go, oh, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. <laughs> and then yeah. they go, and then they, nine times out of ten, we're right. I don't got no feelings. <laughs> it's just like, okay, right, you okay, don't you feelings. don't have feelings. Who okay. hurt you, sir? Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be responding to this at all if that were the case. Yes, you just wouldn't be engaged. Exactly, if that, were, if that were the case. But you can't hurt me. It's like the people who say. Say that are usually oh you're already hurt yeah you're the most hurt you're the most cowardly you're the like you ref, you're shutting down you got hurt so much right right you know right. to me true strength is allowing yourself to be hurt and then going you didn't change me right I'm still I'm still nice yeah I'm still going to be sweet to people fuck you yeah and I also think the uh, the other side I think of true strength is. If you can rip into someone and tear them down and you don't. Yeah. If you, I feel like not, it's not eviscerating people that makes you strong. It's wanting to eviscerate people and not doing it because you know that it's not going to do yeah. any, it's not going to do anything constructive. Yeah, and helpful. so you restraint, restraint is strength. Unless they need it. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they do it. yeah yeah sometimes sometimes you're at a show there's one heckler that won't stop and you you do you, you kind of gotta you oh, go, wait, you this is what you wanted this is what you asked for <laughs> i'm gonna give you what you asked for <laughs> these are the seeds you planted yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna harvest them yeah <laughs> i'm gonna harvest the seeds that you planted you're not gonna like the taste of these plants not at all <laughs> but you you're gonna the call the club later <laughs> 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 Don't complain about shit burgers when you brought turds to the barbecue. <laughs> In the first place. I wanted shit hot dogs. <laughs> oh, you brought turd burgers. That's what you're going to eat. You know, Don't bring that this time. But it's also really interesting that you... You know, like not there are not a lot of comedians who at 20 years old had to learn empathy um, because... You know, so many of us were allowed to be like selfish and not worry about stuff and saying whatever and doing whatever and not really thinking about anybody else. It's like stand up allows you to be very selfish. Mm -hmm. And some of that is to your benefit because you really are in control of everything except for, you know, you can't control how many people come to your shows, but you're pretty much in control of everything else. And so you're sort of conditioned to just be all about yourself. But, you know, here you are in the situation where at 20 you have a son with special needs and you, you, you know, you can't, you can't be that way. And I think that's, um, I think that's an incredible gift because it helped mold you into the person that you are now. And at 35, Mm -hmm. I would say you are, um, (laughs) you know, you, you, you have more life experience and wisdom than most 
than most comedians do at 35. Yeah, I mean, that's what my mom tells me. She's like, she's like, you learned, she's like, there's things I didn't learn until I was 50. Yeah. That you knew at 20. Yeah. And, and I take that as a compliment. And sometimes I feel bad. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons I'm so childish in general, where I buy a lot of wrestling action figures and do things because a lot of i didn't i never because you said i didn't have that time to be selfish i didn't have that time to be a shitty person i went from <laughs> like my mom was in like an abusive relationship and i was kind of like save the saving guy there and then i went and had my own relationship and then that fell apart and then i had my son so i was always looking after someone and it took um, until now where my son's 15 and he's kind of doing his own thing most of the time. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like a teenager now. Right. Like, you know, I just do what I want. I go on little trips. I smoke a lot of pot. <laughs> <laughs> I work out all the time. I'm just like having a fun high school life right now. Right. And it makes me feel really good because I have learned those things and I am more mature about it. And, and overall for my comedy, I think it's one of the things that makes me successful. I talk about it with my girlfriend or with my with my friend Gabe, who I write with, where I just go like, if you take my son out of the equation... I just sound like every other comic. <laughs> I'm just talking about comic books, video games, buds. I'm just talking about those things. But it's because you mix that with the heart from being a responsible person. If not, I'm just like, I'm just some shitty 30-year-old man-child, yeah. you know? But because you mix it with a guy who is also raising his child and has been doing that, you know, you know, now I have a nanny. Now I have things, but I didn't, you know? I was just there. I, I, um, that's the things I love about my girlfriend now is that one of the first things she met me and she was just, she was like, I watch you. I see you. And she's like, I just, I want to let you know, like, I think because of you smoke so much pot and you, and, and, and you're a black guy in this society, some people are always like, Oh, you're lazy. And like, and you're, she's like, you're the hardest working dude I've ever met. Like you, cause at the time I would, you know, I'm I'm working on a TV show. I'm doing sets at a comedy store. I'm writing my own show. And all that is normal. And everybody's like, oh, cool. All right, whatever. You're done at 2 a.m. It's like, yeah, but I got to get up at 6 to get my son bacon and get him on the school bus. Well, and- that's, that's why I think what a true artist is, is that you don't see the work. You know, like people don't see the work. They just look and they go, oh, it's so seamless. It's like. Ah, well, then the magic trick is working and the artistry is working because you don't see all the you don't see all the seams. You don't see all the ruffle. You just you just see this, you know, beautiful end result. And also, you know, I mean, what an incredible thing because you you don't complain ever. I've never heard you like complain about any of your responsibilities or anything you have to do or your life in any negative way. And you know, I think if you did complain, people would be like, yeah, he's had a tough time and, you know, and you don't. And that's incredible. Like, that is a fucking gift. That's a gift. That If you could bottle that and give that <laughs> to other people, you should. But I think that's what these life lessons have taught me. And that's what makes it easier for me to deal with rejection, deal with, um, you know, being passed over for for shows or passed i mean you know i wanted to do my i wanted my special on netflix just like every other freaking comedian you know but they were like "Mm, we see you as a half hour comic and i was like i don't think that is correct and the comedy central was like "We, we agree with you we'll go with the hour and i was like well none of that makes me mad i'm just like you know my life could have been completely different my life i used to have a you know 
when my son was born and I was just doing open mics and stuff, like there were times where I, I ran a show in, in Salem and if if no one put money in that hat, I didn't know how I was going to come home with dinner, you know? And so that type of stress is way different than someone just being like, mm, we don't see you as an hour comedian. <laughs> well, first of all, they're wrong. You're a thousand percent an hour comedian. And also you have an audience like people know who you are and adore you so that is kind of baffling to me it, it'll baffling <laughs> i i understand it overall with worldwide distribution and how some people it. respond to yeah, a different ethnic it. backgrounds it's, it's fucking wrong <laughs> it's wrong it's just a yeah, wrong point of view they are wrong i mean you know it's like you know you wait who did you have the most wins on at midnight it was between you and Doug me and Doug let me set the record straight, <laughs> as I do anytime anyone asks me and at clubs. Doug has two more wins than I. He had been on the show fifteen more times than I. Oh, so if you look at percentages, <laughs> you look at overalls, and you look at head to heads, where I beat him two to zero. Mm-hmm. I'm the best. <laughs> this is where the wrestling background really serves you. Mm-hmm. What's it called? What what's the what's the thing called in wrestling? The assumption like the, that you buy into the you buy into the game of it all. It's kayfabe. The kayfabe. That's that that's part of. I always love that you brought that to at midnight as well. You made a belt for yourself, which was uh, I hope you still have hanging up in my office. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything from your side, from from a person who did the show a lot, was there anything you would have done differently or anything, you know, any kind of constructive criticism or like, I like doing the show, but I wish it were more of this or this or that? No. Um, no, I don't think it's my position to say that. No, I just, I was just curious. I know you're saying that, but like, yeah, of course, I would have done it completely different. It would have been my show. <laughs> what right, do you right, mean? Right. Yeah, but um, no, I think you did a great, great fucking job and you're... You're an amazing host, which is why you host so many things. Um, and, and it showed that to me. That's what I really learned is um, because sometimes, especially more then, I'm much more out of my shell now. But I was still pretty shy then sometimes. I even remember doing a podcast with you when, when it was... Um, the Undateable cast. Yeah. yeah. And even then, it was like, it was a lot of us, but like, you know, I would probably speak the least, you know, because I just wasn't... I'm more, way more comfortable in one-on-ones than I am in group situations. Um, and it's just me getting better myself. But what I learned when I'm trying to get into my compliment is that you're such a good host that even when I was super shy, even when I wouldn't jump in, sometimes I would just you know, put a one finger up. You'd always catch it. You'd always catch it, and you'd always go, Ron, what do you got to say? And, and <laughs> I'd been on so many other shows where it was group scenarios, or um, in particular like Chelsea Lately, where they would come out in between things and they'd go, Get in there, get in there. I'm not that guy. You had to fight over that steak. It was just like a bunch of yeah. you, fight, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I I really I appreciate your I, I really that's very sweet of you to say. I really honestly wasn't fishing for you to say something nice about me. I was curious about the show. Like was there anything the experience of the show that you were like, "Oh, I wish it had been more this or no, that or whatever." It was amazing. It's great. Only thing I never liked was when I lost to Rich Eisen. Uh, <laughs> I did not accept that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Your friends here? <laughs> See, that's 
See, this is this is what I like. I like seeing some of the wrestling really bleed into comedy because it's you know I, I think there were some shows like you know Last Comic Standing or other shows where it was more about like really making comedians compete, and that always felt sad to me because mm-hmm. I felt like that just brings out the not best side of everyone. Mm-hmm. But I loved the playful competition where it's the undertone is like, we're all on each other's side. Yeah. And so you can come in and playfully talk shit, but not really want to like cut someone down. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, we're all comfortable and that makes us funnier as a group. We're better as the sum of our parts. And it became a real badge of honor for me. The more when like, when I would come in and I'm just like going through this packet and I'm having fun, I'm done. And then I'm looking in other rooms and they're like, we gotta be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a real, you know, like it was a very, it was a badge of honor if someone beat you. That was like a big. It was not not just they won at midnight, but like I beat Ron Funches to win at midnight. I mean, it's like you're the gladiator, basically. You know? Yes, like- <laughs> I'm Turbo. <laughs> 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 I was <laughs> I was thinking Russell Crowe but you went to American Gladiator. Oh, we talking about different things. <laughs> I love that you went American Gladiator. <laughs> That was very revealing. <laughs> very revealing about what's in your soul. I'm Turbo. <laughs> we know who your favorite gladiator was. We know what his style was. We know where your brain is. <laughs> Have you you've done stuff with uh, with wrestling, haven't you? You've yeah. Done stuff with WWE. Yeah. Um. Not necessarily with WWE. Other than oh yeah, I mean some random talking head stuff with them. Uh, I was training to be a wrestler in the beginning of the year. I went to to a school in LA called Santino Brothers, which I recommend if you want to be a pro wrestler. Um, they're really really good, and, and I did that for a few months. I found out um, that I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I really found I'm not good at it. There were a lot of things, and they were. I remember going to a class, and they were like, uh, "If you wanted to come help us set up the ring, that'd be great." Um, just in general, this is a big sacrifice, guys. If you really want to do this, you're gonna have to sacrifice a lot of things. You might want to get a part time job instead of a, a full forty hour week job. If this is what you really want to do, and I was like, "Oh, like, you gotta make a lot of sacrifices." And I was like, "Fuck, I already did that. <laughs> <laughs> I already did this with one career. Yeah, I don't want to do this again. That yeah. was going well. So I was like, "Oh, I can either uh, go set up the ring in, in, in the middle of Los Angeles downtown somewhere, or I can go on a private jet with Conan. See ya. Yeah." <laughs> 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 yeah, especially because, you know, listen, as you approach 40 and get into your 40s, like falling down hurts. Yeah. No matter how well trained you are, it still hurts. And, you know, you see some of the guys who, you know, like some of the guys who like the old days of wrestling before they really started being mindful of that kind of thing. And their bodies are fucked up. Like they can't get around that well. Yeah. It's, you know, like they sacrifice their bodies for the art. Yeah. Even if you're good at it in real train, you're going to get hurt. Um, and so I knew I was going to eventually get hurt for sure. And there's even people like like David Arquette who, who wrestles. He, he's been actively wrestling in the community for – he did like – 10 15 years ago and now he's back and and he's already posting about how like he's he's had three broken ribs and yeah i mean if i'm at a point in my life where if i just turn my head too fast that's like two weeks of recovery <laughs> like i don't i don't need to <laughs> throw myself on the ground and have someone hit me with a chair yeah. even if it's a breakaway chair <laughs> 
I'm the breakaway chair now. <laughs> like I don't need, I don't need to be hit with furniture to prove anything. Yeah, that's what I really learned. I was like, oh, I'm happy to watch, and and, <laughs> and if you want me to commentate, I'll do that. But yeah, I, but it was something because my whole life since I was five. I, if you were like, what do you want to be? It was either a, a comedian or a pro wrestler. So I was like, oh, I'm good at comedy. Let me see if I'm good at this. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think life is speaking volumes right now that comedy is working out. It's not like you need a fallback career of wrestling <laughs> to rescue you from comedy not going well. I mean, it is going very well. It's going pretty well. How much do you tour? Um, I tour a fair amount. I'm touring a little bit less now because I'm getting more acting and uh, I booked a movie. So I'm excited What, 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 what movie are you doing? Can you say? It's, I don't... I'm sure. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's currently called Lexi and, and um, it stars um, Adam Devine and Michael Pena. Fantastic. So, yeah. I mean, I'm in there. So I'm excited about that. And... and and um, so, but other than that, usually I'm on the road um, two, two to three weekends of the month. Yeah. Oh wow, that's that's good. That's a good amount, but it still keeps it still gets you home. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be a forty-five week a year comedian. No, no, I did like doing the more of the um, one nighter. I definitely. I mean, I want to put. I did my first small theater tour um, last year to prepare for the special, and I really like that. I like. I like doing one show or two shows and then moving into a different city. Right. I don't. I mean, clubs clubs are great. I think clubs are a great way to when you want to do six sets in a week and yep. do six hours and really sharpen things up. You always got to go do clubs. But um, I, I just man, I think theaters are just fun. I want to do them. once you get the set to a certain place where it's presentational enough, then it's great. The the, the theaters are great, but they're not. Theaters are not a fun place to find your material. Yeah, <laughs> no, just, yeah, seems every, rude. It, well, not only that, but it's just it's it's just a different experience. Like the club experience is a little dirty. It's it's grittier and it's more like you're in the audience mm-hmm. and you can fuck around with them. And it's more of like, a, oh, we're all kind of involved in this like secret thing. Yeah, you know, even I though think it's not usually secret. Usually, with the clubs too, they kind of always are like, oh, he's working on this so that it could be on TV right. or something. Because oftentimes, like I will, because I, I always try to do something new or something, and I'll do a bit, and I'm like, and I'll end it, and I go. Well, Almost there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and theater is like the presentation. Yeah, it's very presentational. Yeah. Whereas if I let them in on the fact that oh, I'm I'm just I'm workshopping it, and and, and you guys are kind of just you're the test audience, right? Like the clubs, or everything. Yeah, they're way more into that than a theater who's like I paid thirty five dollars, and you're just riffing. You're working this out mm-hmm. now. Why mm-hmm. did I need to see this? Like. I've seen some bad theater shows, though. <laughs> well, it's a different rhythm, too, because you in a theater, you have to go a little bit slower because yeah. there's more space. Yeah. And it takes a half a second longer for the sound to hit the back of the room. Yeah, but I'm built for that. Yeah. That's what really works for me. So that's what I found from doing the Conan tour. I was like, oh... Because um, I was talking to like Lori Kilmartin and, and Moses a bit, and they were like, "Oh, do you have to move around more?" And I'm like, "Actually, I move around less. I kind of plant myself a little bit more. I still pace a little bit. Still try to you know go to this side of the theater, that side of the theater on occasion. But for the most part, I learned it from when I toured with Aziz because I tried to do it the other way. Then I was like, "Oh, I'm going all over the place," but it really just changed who I was. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that again, like you said, bringing someone into you when I can do that to like. 
2,000, 3,000 people, I'm like, fuck, I'm getting good. Yeah. Because they're all quiet right now. And you were you were touring with Conan. Was Flula on that tour yeah. as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a fucking great lineup. Yeah. I like that guy. He's, what what is Conan's stand up like? Is he doing stand up or is he telling stories or what's he doing? A mix. It's a mix of both. He comes out and does like twenty five minutes up top, and then then does like a Q and A afterwards. But it was really fun because sometimes you know his twenty five would turn into like a forty, and mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, he's out there doing doing stand ups, and and you know, and it's a lot of stories about like you know he has some stories about Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff like that. So it's not like things where you're like. He's not telling us like I went to the laundromat, you know. Right, right, <laughs> you right, know? Right. But it's true to his life, and um, the most amazing stuff to me is the Q and A's because I he could turn like a question that he got into this riff that would be better than most people's polished bits, and I was just like, wow, like your a your intelligence and, and, and your your creativity shows, but your experience and, and the amount of time you spent talking to people and on stage it really shows and it um was really inspiring i would love to see him do that live because i know i mean i i I know what it feels like to do a daily show but i don't know what it feels like to do the type of show that he did for almost 30 years but it you know you are also a little bit at the mercy of um when you're doing the talk if he's doing the talk show uh especially when he moved the show to la there was like a mile in between the the, the seats mm-hmm. and the audience, mm-hmm. and I, I found sometimes that it was that the audience was kind of losing some stuff because they were so far away, and he's so masterful at grabbing a bit, like mm-hmm. re- repackaging it and throwing it back, and like he's so good at the game of that. But I would love to see him just directly interacting with an audience because he's so funny and so fast. Yeah, it was fun just watching him directly interact with like drivers or people like that where you're like, oh, he's just interviewing this driver now. Like he <laughs> he uses his skill set wherever he goes it put, to put people at ease and make them feel happier to be around. You can really tell that that's important to him, that he likes people to be happy around him. And, and like just kind of piggyback on what you said, that's what I loved about being on his show and, and being a guest on his show is that if he won't let you bomb, if you're not doing well, he will pick up his funny and and carry you. Mm-hmm. But if you are doing well, he is confident enough and, and nice enough to just sit back and let you carry it. Well, also, that takes a tremendous amount of work off his plate. He probably loved when someone you know would come on and start killing because he didn't necessarily have to do as much heavy lifting, yeah, and <clears throat> you know that job of ha- not knowing each day like how much heavy lifting am I going to have to do, how much tap dancing am I going to have to do, how much riffing am I going to have to do, you know, and so when I I think the the hosts love when comedians come on because it just. It's a little bit of a break and also fun, and they get to connect with like-minded performers. Yeah, if, if they are like-minded, but you know, I've been on a few talk shows where it's, it's as if they're like, "Hey, don't out funny me." Really? Mm-hmm. On occasion. Oh wow! I never like. I'm such a comedy fan. Like, I don't have an ego about that stuff. I always. Especially with that midnight, I always felt like I don't care who has the funniest joke as long as the funniest joke gets out there, mm-hmm. whether yeah, you think, say it or someone else says it yeah. or, you know, or uh, wh- whoever or if Natasha Legere, like I don't care who says it. 
It just needs to be. It just needs to come out somewhere. Yeah, and uh, yeah, cause that's smart because at the end of the day, they're gonna go. It's your show. Yeah, I made this happen. You know, and to me, that's that's what being confident is. Wanting other people to succeed, and I love that. Um, and obviously, I won't name names, but like, just thing where you see, you're like, oh, like to me, it just comes from a lack of confidence and a lack of uh, belief in your own skill set. That you're like, oh, I'd rather. I'd rather you be less funny so that I can just people think I'm great. But the collaboration is so great because, you know, comedy voices are chemistry and you can be funny in one way on your own and another comic can be funny in another way on their own. But then when you come together, you form this whole new thing, Mm -hmm. this new comedy entity, and then you start mixing a couple different people in there and then it's like – it's just this orchestra of something that's totally unique that's made up of each of you but – but its own thing, yeah. Because you're all like, you know, Those you're all working together things. to make it better. That's like my and my favorite types of movies when you go back and watch. Like I love one of my favorite um, movies when it, even when it first came out. One of my my favorite movies was Hot Rod. Mm-hmm. And then when you go back now and you're like, fuck, everybody's in this. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny McBride's in it and, and Bill Hader's in it, and they're not the leads. They're just <laughs> hanging out, killing it. <laughs> You go, I've been drinking green tea all day. You gonna bring the devil out of me? That's one of my favorite lines. And it's just like, that's what I love is a group of people who are all hilarious. And then one person pops at one time and then they're the most famous. And then another person pops and now they're famous. And it's, uh, but it's just all community and friendship. That's, I mean, that's what I love about comedy and, and love about getting older in comedy is that I'm able to see my friends really elevate and real and stick together and and go from like i met emily heller like years 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 ago just being at working at rooftop comedy and she was just eating a banana in the most unsexy way i've ever seen <laughs> like she's eating it sideways <laughs> and then now years 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 later and she's like one of the most sought after writers in hollywood and she's writing for barry and getting nominated for all these awards and, and that's just like one example of tons of friends i have who are doing that and then i love now meeting these 25 26 year olds who like taylor tomlinson or whatever and they're being like fuck you you are amazing i better i better get to these theaters because i don't want to be hanging out with you yeah 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 and it's funny and you're right emily heller is absolutely hilarious and that's the other thing that i loved about doing the show was getting to see so many different because i don't really go to a lot of local shows anymore Mainly, I mean, I hate to say out of laziness because it's like, oh my god, I got to get in the car and go I drive would never and park. leave this house. And then- <laughs> 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 gotta go drive and you know go just to get up and do like twelve minutes and then get back in the car and drive home. It's like two hours. Yeah, because I'm gonna tour anyway, so yeah. I'll, I'll get to where it's not like I'm not gonna get the stage time. And but what I really miss is being able to see funny people or discover new funny people or you know see people like marcella or emily yeah. or uh or you know just or if or if or if bart coleman booked a comic that i didn't know and i got to be surprised I'm like oh my god where's this person how did i not know you yeah. know like that yeah just as a comedy lover that's what i i really 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 miss all that yeah and i don't thing. know how to recreate that well just, you can go outside <laughs> No, <laughs> far too comfortable now. <laughs> well, that's the thing about comedy is that it's like, 
it's not that it's necessarily a young person's game, but it's a hungry person's game. Absolutely, you need to be you need to be hungry to do it all the time. And I'm just hungry enough to do it, <laughs> you know, but not st- but not like. Not like super hungry where I'm like, I got to do it every night or I'm going to fucking die. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, no, I'll do it when I But I, can I do love it. that balance. You shouldn't have that. That's one of the things. I, I There's a desperation to that. And I've been in that case because it was really, really like, oh, if I don't get good at this, my son won't eat. But as far to me, that's you have to have a balance in your life. Um, there had been this thing where I heard about a comic who had written on their walls like, Comedy is all there is. There is nothing else. And then the the, the young comics who were telling me the story were like, "That's so cool. That's <laughs> hardcore. That guy's the best." And I was just like, "That guy's a fucking psychopath. It's <laughs> <laughs> not healthy. That's not healthy. <laughs> Replace the word comedy with anything else. Yeah, exactly. And tell me if you think that's healthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's compulsive. Yeah, yeah, and that's dangerous, especially because, you know, if that's all you have. You can't again going back to what you said earlier. You can't control what happens in life. If for some reason that gets compromised in some way, or comedy like isn't there, you know, it's like we have to remember that we are not defined by our careers or by by that path. You know, we're defined by you know like who who we are and who who the people who are closest to us and what we contribute to the world, but not like. You know, like that's just – that's scary. But I think that's a young person's thing. And then when you start to get a little older and a little wiser and then, you know, you start understanding balance a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, that you can do it in healthy ways and whatever. If someone's going to say like, well, you're not a comedian unless you're performing like two times a night. OK, fine. Uh, then by your definition, I'm not. But, you know, I like my life and I love my wife. So yeah, I don't – then fine. You know? Yeah, and you don't want those things to suffer because of it. No. A lot of things – with, with, with my son, I've been so, so busy. And then I, I was like, we're going to go see the Spider-Man movie. And I've been blowing him off about it. And then last night, it was super late. And I just could hear him up by himself. And he was just like, he just was oh, lonely. And I was like, what? Fuck it. I'm canceling these podcasts. Let's, you know, I'm doing yours, but I'm canceling the one after it. And then I was like, well, let's go to a movie. Let's go hang out. Let's keep this balance. Like, you're way more important than me going and doing these shows and going and doing these things. If you're not happy right now, let's go talk about it and see what's going on with you. Uh, and Very uncharacteristic of a stand up comic to listen. <laughs> <laughs> you're really stepping outside the zone on that one, listening to another person's needs. But that's where a lot of humor is, though, you know? Being a good listener. And being able to really respond to people, sometimes you can you find some really really good jokes, and, or you can really affect them just because they now know you were li- you were listening. To so them. you're gonna go see Spider Verse tonight after yeah. the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see it. I'm blown away that Spider Ham is in the movie because somewhere, God, I don't know where it is, and I think it's in actually pretty good condition. I have my first issue of um, Spider Ham. There was an issue of Spider-Ham with uh, Hulk Bunny and Captain America. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it was like maybe 1983 or so. Uh, and so, I mean, 
I was not aware that Spider Ham was still a thing that Kicking. was that was being done, and so this uh, this delights me to no end. Oh, the whole thing is exciting. Love that it's Mulaney. That makes me happy. That, yeah, that makes it even better. Yeah. But it's interesting that these animated films are kind of defining <laughs> characters in these genres. Where I mean, listen, uh, Spider Man Homecoming was great. You mm-hmm. know, like th- there have been great Spider Man movies. There have been great Batman movies. But the Lego Batman movie was very defining for Batman, and it seems like Spider Verse is going to be very defining for Spider-Man and Spider-Men and women alike uh, (laughs) depending on your multiverse situation Spider-Gwen everyone yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) that uh, that they're also you know defining these characters and and that type of storytelling yeah I mean that's uh, it makes sense these are you know these are comic books and animated items and and so it makes sense that they that that's the best way that they're able to um to really showcase these characters to me, but those have been my favorite. Lego Batman is one of my favorite movies, and um, my favorite my favorite DC movie is Teen Titans Go. It was so funny, so funny. I loved it, and it was one of the, I watched it with my son and my girlfriend and my buddy, and we're all just sitting there laughing and and enjoying it. And I was just like, oh, why can't the live action movies be like this? You're also your son's also lucky to have you because of all the stuff that you're into that I think allow you to bond in a way that maybe a lot of parents wouldn't necessarily have that skill set. Yeah, we have a lot of the same interests. You do have a lot of the same interests, you know? And and I'm sure that that has been... I'm sure that has been very helpful for him um, because you have a set of common languages that you can communicate through. And... You know, and and it's just sort of the happy accident of like you just happen to be into this stuff. You didn't have to learn to like these things, and uh, you know, I think that's really. I think he's really fortunate to have you in that way because I don't think a lot of parents with their first thought would be like, "Let's go see Spider into the Spider Verse." You know, yeah. Like, oh, my kid wants to see this movie. I'll take my kid to see this movie, but. This is a movie that you would go to see alone Mm -hmm. if you had to. Yeah. I saw the Lego movie by myself (laughs) and then was like, oh, shit, I got I should have took my son. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where are all these kids here? (laughs) Have you been in have you been in a movie or a public place and giggled and then people turn and they go, oh, my God, you're Ron Funches. Have you been identified by your laugh in public? Um, very rarely. Usually while things are out. You gotcha. know, like so, like when Trolls was first out, people would be like, "Oh, you're you're that voice," or, or um, so usually in that. Some sometimes, yeah, more so than by looking at me, especially lately, because you know a lot of people were like, "Oh, I thought you were a hundred pounds heavier." <laughs> <laughs> And you feel healthier in general? Oh, so much healthier. I'm loving it. Living weights, having fun. My doctor is like, I'm a machine. So that makes me feel good. She's like, you're going to live forever unless something traumatic happens. Yeah, (laughs) these are things you can't control, you know? Yeah. An airplane propeller could fly out of the sky and cut you in half. You don't know. But other than that, yeah. But other than that, Super healthy. I'm I'm really trying to... um, I mean, I still... I'm like... I'm not obese. I'm still chubby and fat in some regards. So I'm trying to get down to um, just. And I know because I know what you're gonna say it's about health and not about weight. Uh, but there's just about me getting older, and I'm like, okay, I might be able to handle being two twenty five, two thirty now. But I don't think I want to carry that in my forties and fifties. Right. So I would like to get down to two hundred. And so um, if things happen to swing ten or fifteen pounds, it doesn't matter. 
and that's completely achievable because you're still young. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I started working out when I was 32, maybe 33, because I had the same realization. I, I mean, I, I had all sorts of, I had a really weak everything, and so I had back problem. I was in a car accident when I was 17, and it, a piece of my back chipped, mm. um, and so. I just I had back problems. I had old person back problems and sciatic nerve problems all through my twenties, and so I was like, "Fuck!" When I quit drinking, I was like, "Fuck!" If if I'm like this now, how am I going to be at fifty or sixty? So I better try to you know I better try to turn this aircraft carrier around. <laughs> just kind of looking that far into the future, and I'm really glad I did because I didn't necessarily feel like. Now it's a race, you know. Yeah. I just felt like, oh, I can do it a little yeah. bit at a time, and it's comfortable, and I'm not, you know, yeah. not trying to win any competition. I'm just trying to be a little healthier, and and I'm really, you'll be in ten years, you'll be so glad that you did because you'll just be able to move better, and you won't you won't start calcifying in place, yeah. you know. Like yeah, it'll, it'll be good. I just want to be. I mean, that's where I go like, oh, I look, I look at old pictures, and I'm like, wow, you look. Younger at 35 than you were at 30, for sure. And I'm not saying that I'm not trying to continue to go younger, but it's just like, man, you could be a pretty good-looking 40-year-old man <laughs> if you keep this up. And by then, the competition is going to be really weak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when you get to 45 and then 50, like yeah. if you can just kind of stay in the game even a little bit, it's a lot of the pack falls off exactly. by that point. You know? it's like, <laughs> all you got to do, it's just like anything else. If you can just stay in the game a little bit, it's going to be good for you. Yeah, I mean, that's the name of our whole careers, right? You got to be in it to win it. And that's what I really love right now. Because I remember people talking about, oh, it used to be like at the comedy store, everybody's hanging out. And the next thing you know, somebody's on on Letterman or, or Carson and their life changes. But it's not like that anymore. I'm like, how do you mean it's not like that anymore? I see it every week. I remember a couple years ago hanging around with Leslie Jones and her just being like, I can't get a road gig. I can't get anybody to book me. I, you know, I'm fucking struggling. And then... Saturday Night Live, movies, everything's going on. And it's just like that's happening like month after month, whether it's like Leslie Jones or, or, or someone like Tiffany Haddish or, or or someone like Dalia, where they're just popping off. And it's just like it's a magical time to be in comedy. And I love that I, I'm in it at this time because I'm getting to watch really good people of all different types of backgrounds and all different types of styles that's why I, I really like is um just that there's a lot i mean some some people doing the same things but for the most part everybody's just trying to really focus on being them their best version of themselves and i really like that so besides the obvious answer of like to make an audience laugh like ha- what what do you think a comedian's job is or what what do you like to see a co- a comedian do on stage? What's your favorite thing about comedy? Yeah, that's I've been talking a lot about this recently. Um, I don't know what the job is. Like, I think the the job because I don't want to put that type of limit on anyone. Like, your your job might be to make people happy. Your job might be to to um, talk truth to power or whatever. Like, whatever you want to do. That's not my job. But um, I feel, personally, my job is is to make people happy, make people calmer, make um, just give them an oasis from their day if they're having a shitty day. It's my job to help them forget about that. I think that's 
the job of a comedian is is to be that jester and sometimes being a jester means you are the one that's being made fun of and sometimes that means you're making fun of the king but overall you're there to to provide mirth and merriment and um my favorite type of comedy are people who um by the end of their set and it doesn't have to be autobiographical biographical you don't have to tell me everything about you but if by the end of your set i want to be friends with you or i feel that i know you a little bit more that's my favorite type of comedy i'm not really into to comedy where you're just trying to be witty for witty's sake or you're just trying to be um shocking for shocking sake it's to me again i, I can tell a lot to wrestling where it's like Anybody can go out there and do a bunch of moves and flip all over the place. My favorite type of people can you can tell a story with what you're doing, you know. And I don't, I don't want my story to be boring. I don't need you to be like, so at two in the afternoon, I was doing this, and my <laughs> aunt Carol did this to me. Can you believe that? But it's more like I, I have a classic structure that I use to tell you things about me that hopefully by the end you, you relate more to my experience in, in. There was, even though I was very specific in what I was talking about, there's something universal that you took from it. That that's my favorite type of comedy is when, at the end of the day, whether even someone like like Flula, who we're just talking about, who is doing like who is a German DJ, but <laughs> <laughs> I almost broke kayfabe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who is a German DJ, but you still learn a lot about him. <laughs> I love one of my favorite things was Flula on At Midnight. To, I didn't mean to talk about that show so much, but it just it's like I haven't thought about it in a while. He used to get so mad when he wouldn't get eliminated. <laughs> so happy. I'd be like, I'd eliminate someone else, and he'd be like, No, you have to eliminate me. Like, never. The, like his his take on the show was so fucking great. Yeah, and that like watching someone who at the outset is like, okay, you know, like you said, here's this German DJ, but there's so much more of a story going on underneath. underneath. There's so much more that he's not saying that he's saying by not saying that uh, he's a fucking delight to watch. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 And, and that's like, so to me, that's like one of the best examples of like, you don't have to go out there and just get into your journal to really let me know who you are, even through, through, um, just bits and pieces and, and, and just small glimpses. There's a, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot there that he's not saying. And I, I love, that's what I love. So rapid fire real fast. Just, I want to kind of get a sense of like some of your favorite things right now. Uh, favorite wrestlers right now? Favorite wrestlers right now at this moment are Stone Cold Steve Austin because he because I hung out with him. <laughs> <laughs> he was so nice. He was so nice, and he because I thought he would just talk about wrestling. And we did a pre-interview, and he's like, and I'm I'm literally he talked to me when he did the interview. He's like, it seemed like you didn't want to talk to me. I was like, no, 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 no. I just I didn't want to waste your time. I didn't know if you're busy or something. And he's I'm trying to get off the phone, and he's just like, hey, one one more second, man. Uh, I got a question. Are you uh, influenced by Mitch Hedberg? <laughs> and I was like, Stone Cold Steve Austin? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, like, that's, that's the same thing when um, the first time CM Punk was on Talking Dead, like, years ago. I'm like, a wrestler? Are you sure? Is there going to be? And they go, yeah, 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 he's really cool. And he comes on, and it turns out 
He's one of the fucking nerdiest, like, has a flux capacitor in his living room kind mm-hmm. of guys. Like, oh, okay, I get, you know. Big I, here I was, I was totally buying into the that part of the kayfabe where it was like, they're all these, like, muscle head guys. No, no, no. A lot of them are just, like, nerds and mm-hmm. giant bodies. Yeah, and then my other favorite who's actively wrestling right now, his, his name's Matt Riddle. I love him. He's the best. Um, he... Just got signed to NXT, and he he used to wrestle out here in L.A. at PWG and a lot of things, and he was really fun because he would just hang out in front of the venue and smoke bowls with whoever was want to smoke bowls with him and then go wrestle. <laughs> I took my friend. I took my friend, Gabe, with me to go, and we're just smoking bowls with Matt and, and some of his friends, and then we're watching the show. And then everybody, Matt's whole thing is that he's a bro. And so everybody just, bro, bro, bro. And my friend looks at me and he's like, what the fuck is this? What are they doing, bro? And then he sees Matt come out and he goes, I smoked weed with that Bro, bro. (laughs) (laughs) He's just really cool. He was a USC fighter. Like, he's a legitimate badass. But he's, like, also just super chill and and likes to hang out. And um, people really like him. I think he's going to be the next big thing. Every wrestling dude i've met has been awesome uh uh, punk john cena um dolph ziggler like like everyone they all seem to be just super nice people who seem to be appreciative of what they get to do and actually really care about what they do and understand you know like when someone really understands the community that they're a part of and the community of fans, they all seem to understand, like, yeah, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the fans. So yeah. that's what we are willing to destroy our bodies for. Yeah, and they know a lot about entertainment, you know? Live, they perform live in front of thousands of people all the time. And it's a similar job where you're trying to get a reaction out of the audience and they're just doing it with their bodies instead of their, I mean, often with their words, but I do it with jokes and they do it with body slams. But one of my closest friends in town is a wrestler named X-Pac and and I can just talk to him about entertainment and talk to him about controlling an audience and, and getting the reaction that you want and they are the some of the most intelligent people when it comes to knowing how to uh, manipulate people <laughs> <laughs> well you also seem to display more obscure wrestling knowledge than anyone i've ever met that stuff would we'd show videos on on the show and you are you would already know from the first frame like oh this is what this video is this is what it's from and this is what's going to happen in the video yeah i love it when it was the guess what happened next I'm like, i will tell you exactly what happened <laughs> i do not have to guess <laughs> that's kenny omega and he is going to body slam that girl <laughs> what was the one i just saw one recently i, t- I texted it to joe manganello and he immediately knew what it was but it was this video of of randy savage pulling creamers out of thin air mm. during the, the interview cream of the crop yeah yeah yes. the cream rises on the top yeah. <laughs> but they're fucking <laughs> you know he just saw them backstage and was like oh I got an idea <laughs> but there's like it, they're, they're, <laughs> the thing that's so amazing about the video is that it's so incidental it's not even it, it's like he's not making it the focus of the thing it's just a by the way he's doing the sleight of hand and producing creamer after creamer <laughs> 
ever. It's the most fucking ridiculous thing I've ever, ever seen on film before. I love it. I mean, most Macho Man things are very ridiculous. When I was doing my Get High Watch Wrestling show, which was like Mystery Science Theater with wrestling with, with, with X-Pac, um, that's what we, we knew. Like, oh, if we have a bad clip, we just, just follow it up with a Macho Man clip and that will, that will kill because he... He's fucking amazing, just a great personality and really funny to watch him do just about anything. Okay, so that, uh, two more things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Video games, favorite video games right now? Favorite video games right now. Um, I was going to say Red Dead, but I want to say something that not everyone would say. Okay, that's not me. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been playing a lot of Tetris Effect, which I really, really, really like. It's a great game to get stoned and play because I don't know if you've ever played Luminous before. No. Uh, It's a a music-based puzzle game that would use the music beat to clear. It's a normal four type of columns type of puzzle game yeah but the musical track would clear them and they kind of mix that with tetris now where you have like a regular regular old school tetris but there's all these visuals and music and everything's falling to the beat and you can play it in vr it's really really fun um they took like if you didn't te- it's like tetris but better okay all right so that and then uh movies televisions like what what i'm just trying to get all your pop culture likes at the moment <sighs> watch many movies i've been talking about that with my girlfriend lately it's like she she'll name an actor and i'm like i don't know who that is i have no idea like i don't in any frame of reference unless they're a comedic actor Mm -hmm. i don't have a frame of reference for it i love good comedies and i love usually indie comedies and i haven't seen a really one that i've been interested in in a while i heard people say game night is really good yeah game night's fun but i haven't seen it um because usually I get mad because if I see a trailer for a comedy movie and it's just like two guys yelling and then some lady walking and then she gets hit in the head with something. I'm like, what the, what the fuck is this? <laughs> That's my impersonation of every comedy movie trailer that I've seen in the last three years is some lady going, huh? Boing! And you're like, why is that funny? And then two guys yelling at each other. Yeah, like that's not funny. Um, so I think the last movie that I really, really liked was Teen Titans Go. That was the last thing okay. I liked. I thought it was very well written, really funny, great lines. Um, they hit a guy with a car and they go, I think his dad's a cop. <laughs> pitch me, at the, finally, pitch me the Ron Funches show. What is the Ron Funches show? Oh, that's easy. It'll show about what my life would be like if I never got into comedy is being a single father of a son with autism and having to go through that and, and the financial issues and, and the, the misunderstandings that come from having a kid with autism and just also him and how he changed my life around from being a, 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 a pothead child to being a responsible pothead man. <laughs> <laughs> A pothead man, a pothead child, and at the end, he becomes a pothead man. Yeah, responsible. Yeah, so that's that's the pitch of that. I can sell that show with you. I want to sell that show for you. Please. I want to sell that show for you. I, I see it happening. I think you're special. I'm excited to see your special, so please send it to me. Mm-hmm. It's Giggle Fit. And it comes out, I know, uh, if, if my brain is working properly, it's January 4th yeah. at 11 p.m. on mm-hmm. Comedy Central. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, it's just great to see you and catch up with you. And, you know, again, I, you're such a, an important fixture of, my, of that four years of my life. Uh, and I've so enjoyed just watching your comedy star 
continue to rise. And so, you know, if there's ever anything I can do to help you in any way, I'm at your disposal. Well, you already done more than enough. Um, you really, you really were a big help for me. I mean, like TV shows and stuff were fun and undateable was fun, but overall, like when I go out on the road, still to this day, people are like. I miss at midnight. I miss you on at midnight. There's well, that was all you. You you brought it. You know, like all we did was provide the platform, and you brought the funny stuff, and uh, and you made it work. So, you know, I just hope we get to do something together again, or we could just I don't know hang out sometime in not a work environment. Then mm, I don't is that see weird? That okay, happen. no. You're Okay, uh, what if we don't go to lunch? What if we do a lunch podcast? Okay. Yeah, okay. That's that is the weirdest thing. I've been doing that so much. I had my podcast, Emily Emily Gordon was on it. Yep. And I was like, I've known you for so long. We've had so many conversations, but I could not get, I could not have an hour conversation with you unless I booked you for a podcast. <laughs> and I love that. Well, I love that people, I would rather never see my friends again and know that they're as successful as their wildest dreams than us being all hanging out and poor. I I guess that's <laughs> but you but you look back and remember the poor times yeah so like oh i did fun. hang out with yeah. we, we yeah. did it yeah <laughs> well you did it ron funches thank you so much for being here getting better is the podcast giggle fit is the comedy special and uh hopefully we're gonna sell this show the ron funches show wherever it may land if you're a hungry network executive right now shoot us an email <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll come podcast you <laughs> the end. Oh, Ron Funches, I'm very excited because you get to be the first signature in the brand new guest book. Oh, cool. And it's a Zelda themed guest book. I love it. ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, listeners, it's Will Arnett. Our podcast, Smartless, has crossed a milestone that seemed unfathomable when we started nearly four years ago as we've just released our 200th episode. Join us as we welcome that dynamic duo of hilarity, Steve Martin and Martin Short. You've seen them on screen together in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride 1 and 2, and most recently, and Only Murders in the Building. Both are comedic geniuses in their own right, but together they are always electric. And this episode of Smartless is no exception. I don't know if I've laughed more in a single episode than this one. We discuss their career arcs both separately and as a comedy team, how they met, who is more difficult to work with, and what motivates them today. Is Steve a better banjo player than Marty as a singer? Find out on this bicentennial episode of Smartless. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you get to hear Sean cry. What a loser! What a loser!